This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to a special edition. Welcome to this special edition of The Weekly by Retail Insider. I'm Lee Rivett, and with the ongoing turmoil being experienced across the country by retailers large and small, we've gathered a panel of three retail experts to chat about the impact of COVID-19, chaired by our very own Editor-in-Chief, Craig Patterson. Now, the bio for all three guests can be found in our show notes, and they include David Ian Gray, who's the founder and strategist of Dig360 Consulting, who also spoke with Craig during our March 24th podcast about the COVID-19 impacts. Our second member of the panel is Gary Newbury, who specializes in transforming retail supply chains and also spoke with Craig during our April the 8th podcast, discussing the click and collect and supply chain strategies during COVID-19. Our final panelist is George McInnes, who is the CEO of the Inception Retail Group and has written retail books, including The Last Retailer Standing and The Great Transition. So without further ado, let's listen in on the COVID-19 discussion between these gentlemen and their assessments on the impacts to Canadian retail. Hello, this is Craig Patterson. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Retail Insider, and this is a special edition of the Retail Insider Podcast. We've got our team of experts here, and we're going to be talking today about a few things. We're going to be talking about consumers, essential retailers, non-essential retailers, and all kinds of stuff in between. So uh, welcome, gentlemen. Hi, Craig. Welcome, Craig. Let's talk a little bit about the consumer. Um, What are the key factors that are currently top of mind and uh, shaping uh, the thoughts and concerns of consumers right now in Canada? what I think of a critical five. And a critical five uh, are about confinement. How long will this be? Uh, The government's sort of metering out two or three week, four week limits. I think that if the government had actually said, uh, just stay in your home till till summertime, that might have caused a a degree of civil unrest. But every every time a release of a new period of time comes out, we we are more settled in our mind about that. The other one is... uh, financial capacity the longer we are confined the our financial capacity is more and more restricted because if we if we haven't got our full income coming in yet we've still got bills to pay they don't change the other one is um people's exposure to the virus either directly or indirectly in terms of directly i'm talking about maybe at worst cases somebody in your household catches this somehow or indirectly if you're um in a situation where you're watching say 20 cp24 literally 24 hours a day you'll start to become somewhat catastrophized about this because it's like you'll see all the all the developments in real time the fourth one is um if I've been laid off by my, by my company, I might feel confident at the start that it's just a short period of time. But actually, there's a point in time where maybe my, um, the visibility of companies like this retailer have gone out of business or having real big problems. I start to get very worried about, will I be able to return to work? What does my future income stream look like? Um, and the I think one that probably isn't so easily spoken about is one about the sense of abundancy. Well, I can go to, you know, any grocer and see a really wide selection of food I can have, go to, you know, the big box stores and pick up loads of stuff. And all of a sudden, things have changed. Um, I, I, I have, for some grocer stores, I have to stand outside. When I go inside, there's empty shelves. Uh, things that I really want, they're not there anymore. 
my whole sense of abundance has really been compressed to, I think I'm in real scarcity. So I'm in a really quite a concerning position on, on these five fronts. So guys, I don't know if you want to chip in on anything else, which I, I may have missed in that. You know, when we spoke about this in the early days, um, there was something you just said, Gary, that you were talking about consumers. We're changing our roles a little bit. In a Western economy anyway, like in the society I grew up in, consuming things, getting things, having things, that was a big part of what our, our behavior was. Like, I, think it's, I think it's starting to erode a little bit. And we're, um, I, I, think, I think at a macro level, we are not just becoming less consumerist because we can't go to the store. I think it's deeper than that. And I kind of wonder coming out of this the other side, how long will it take for us to, if ever, get back to that level of our psyches being geared to having buying consuming that whole thing about the experience economy right like everything was inundated Mm -hmm. around that so that's just the thought of feeding off what you were saying well i I, you know i feel the same way about the consumers and their and their you know their their values that are being reshaped at home i'm reading data that's showing how much more consumers are moving towards online and they're more trying they're testing the waters they're becoming more comfortable um that is that is definitely happening and then the other side of the coin i wonder about the workplace you know are we going to move are we going to be okay with bringing everybody back to work whether they've had the virus or not um or are we going to hire people only that have had the virus and and this is a really contentious little place that i'm going to you know are you only going to hire people who've been tested and have had it uh or and tested it or immune Right? How does that change the workplace and how does that change the dynamic of the consumers? How many of them can go out and spend and where are they going to go and shop? It's very complicated, right? Um, and I, don't, I hope Canada is not one of those countries that moves in that direction, but there are countries that will because they need to safeguard themselves. And this is kind of you know, where I was thinking that we got to think about different stages of change that are happening because. I think there, I think people are settling in a little bit now. There's a bit of a predictability to the day to day, while they're still in isolation. But I think there, we're seeing anything that's related to home office mm-hmm. has been taking off. Anything that's been re- related to the families that have kids at home and education, so like um, iPads and and Chrome devices, um, tablets has, has really surged, and that. I, the expectation would be it's for home use in the home office, but probably for kids and their learning environments and then fitness, obviously, you know, so there's consumption going on and then you've got your, your groceries and necessities. As we're coming out of this, I think people are getting a little squirrely. So out here on the coast and, you know, BC, we're a little ahead on the seasons. Um, the garden centers are doing a record business right now for this time of year. So I think people are now getting into, can I, can I make things? Can I, can I create, can I craft, can I do something? But I'm being busy, but it seems to be more purposeful than just watching Netflix. These are all things that we can see how they play out. The interesting um, thing, that, David, just before you move on, the, the interesting thing is this. I mean, I do quite a lot of projects around the house and uh, I, I just use weekends to do loads of projects I've for those people who kind of think, oh, I'll do that today, right? I just get some stuff from like one of the big box stores, Home Depot, Canadian Tire, Lowe's, whoever. I'll put my order in and it's three or four days. 
I've just ordered some um, grass seed. I'm going to do some grass seed in. Uh, that was ordered on Monday, and my wife just picked it up to, just now. Uh, and so well, I, I know, but I think we're going to live with that. Like I, I think at the end of the day, uh, our there's pre-COVID thinking, and then there's yeah. COVID and post-COVID thinking. And I think as consumers, we're just going to have to realize a lot of our expectations that were surging, like the, the retail and brands, retailers and brands create, always create monsters for themselves. That whole Bay Days, everything's on sale at Black Friday and Christmas nonsense. The industry created that, consumers didn't. And this whole idea that the consumer's king and we can ask any unreasonable thing we can possibly dream up in our, in our heads and then someone's got to serve us that or we're going to complain about it on social media. I, I really think there's going to be a, a hard pause on that. That's mm-hmm. going to be a hard stop for a little while anyway. And we're just going to be grateful we can do anything. And I, what's interesting on the, uh, the online side of this is I think for the laggards who weren't used to online shopping gear, and we've spoken about this, they're coming into the game now, right? So they don't know what to expect, but they're now teaching themselves, yeah, I can click here, click there, the thing arrives. You've made the point to me a couple of times that the experiences for those who are savvy online shoppers are kind of disappointing right now. Like the, the wait times are long, curbside isn't quite working. So that is going to be interesting to see. There's going to be newbies coming in who are kind of, I'm into it now and they'll stick with it. The ones who are getting a bit disappointed, they may, I don't know if they're going to ever uh, like in June or July or August, get angry though if something isn't there same day like they might have two months ago that that's the but point imagine, i mean but yeah i i i kind of see where you're coming from there but imagine that they could perfect their click and collect because at the moment well up until about two or three weeks ago i would order something and it might actually be in america or somewhere else and amazon would get it to my doorstep the next day and that would be across a very wide uh, assortment of products, all on Prime. I'm getting next day. I don't care where it's coming from. So my expectation from that, from being a, a regular Prime shopper, is click and collect. I should be able to do it the same day, maybe next day. But the res- retailers, I know we're, we're all under a lot of pressure, especially with you know staff and trying to figure it all out. But wouldn't it be a big win for these retailers to actually work out how to get it done in the same day? They would kill the competition. If, if someone were able to solve those things, there's going to be a real dog-eat-dog kind of battle for consumers coming out of this. Like, and I agree 100%. The, the next phase is how do we get our customers back and not lose them to the other guys? And how do we gain some of the other guys' consumers? Because we've lost revenues. We've got to hit the ground running. And it's going, I, and it's going to be crazy, right? I, I yeah. anticipate, um, the, look, the consumers are going to be looking, but just to take it from your point, uh, Gary, in terms of service, customer experience itself is being redefined into speed, right? How fast can I click and collect? Right. If your if your site is slow, you're doomed. If your if your site is fast and you can't pick, I can't pick it up. I have to wait half an hour or, or an hour longer than you told me. You know, it's a scenario of a domino effect that the experience is going to be communicated to everyone. Right. But at the same time, you know, you've got less customers, uh, less public going out to shop. Right. And I'm going to throw a number out because I, I I've been trying to postulate to myself how bad could it be. Right, and I'm going to say that there's probably 20% of the consumers out there who are so petrified of COVID-19 
right? They're not coming out until the all clear has been blown and there's the, the treatment and the vaccine is there, right? I really believe that it's that big a number. And then you have that uh, another 20% who are going to be driven more by, you know, I'm going to go and shop. I want to experiment, but I'm going to, it's going to be, it's going to be that risk shopping, right? So you're at 35 to 40% of the public being afraid. Now you've got 60% that are out there who want to shop. So you've got a lot less consumers that are going to be comfortable going, trying to go store to store with a mask on, most likely. I think New York State just passed that law. They signed it yesterday that everybody, if you're out in public, you've got to be wearing a mask. I can't imagine we wouldn't do the same. Um, and at the same time, when you're doing that, you're going to want to attract more traffic to your doors, right? Your online site or your drawers. You're going to be fighting so much harder for every customer. Um, and I, I said earlier, I was talking to somebody that runs an agency, and they were just basically saying, you know, they anticipate a lot of pent-up demand in business coming their way once they have a pretty good idea when the door is going to open and that their clients are going to want to push really hard to drive more traffic into their doors. Because uh, I think I said that earlier before we were on that mo anyone who's not open, it has a they all have a level playing field, right? You may know some of the brands very well, but I'll tell you how many brands are forgettable, right? And you're going to have to work hard again to, to rebuild that that build that rebuild that relationship with the public, and are you still open? Right, you're going to have to convince the customer, tell the customers, look, we we we're still open, we're still operating, or we've reopened. You know, and I think um, a publication I put out, I'm saying, don't say reboot, start relaunching, start thinking like an entrepreneur in order to get out there and be more successful. And I and I worry that a lot of retailers, restaurants, wherever whatever they're doing, they're gonna they're gonna try and reboot, just open the door and hope somebody comes in. I agree, but I hope they're not trying to be too uh, nuanced and fancy about it. I think this this is going to be about basics. Yep. And it could even be, I'm seeing restaurants now going to very short menus for their uh, takeout and delivery. One of the guys in our team, Rick Bahonis, uh, ran Urban Barn for years. And he was saying if he was doing that again now, he would be opening very slowly. Like he would be maybe shortened hours, even unless he's mandated by a, a landlord, but do it right. And I, and I think what right is going to be is just not special mirrors for ordering and clicking or any of those sort of customer experiential. I mean, it's going to be about the customer for a while. It's just going to be about doing basics. But I do think it's about being relevant. And there's a real leg up for the guys who are essential service who have extended items, right? Yeah. I, I, I think we, we, there's a lot of stuff in there. But, but what, what kind of comes to mind is we, we, when we sat down together about a month ago to try to make sense of it, and, but there, there was this stage of, like, I call it just do it. David, you described it as triage, trying to prioritize what was important here. And in, in an essential retailer, it was like, get those shelves full. And a subset of that was, can we simplify the SKU so we can actually focus? And the second stage was, uh, in my mind, it was a, like a transformation because we need to have capabilities when we open, relaunch, um, to actually be able to see what the consumer really looks like at that stage and then be able to adjust them. And if we haven't developed those capabilities during this, let's call it quieter period, um, then we, we, we are going to try and adapt something which didn't work in 2019 and isn't definitely going to work in you know, post-COVID-19. Uh, but you know, Gary, what's, what's interesting is that the, the operators that are still open and providing essential services, the Walmart, the Costco's, the Loblaws of the world, yep. 
you know, they are learning very quickly how to adapt to all of this, right? They are preparing for a pandemic economic market, right? They, they get it. And what I, I got a report from, uh, it is really brief. There's three, uh, technolo three technology movements that have not changed at all since, since the downturn. And in its movement to the cloud, digitization of enterprises and automation, that has not changed. It is still moving forward. So you know that there are retailers and businesses out there still making moves in these directions. What's happening is we can't, we got to be careful. We don't talk about the consumer or retail because there's so many variants, uh, like every, there's so many versions of the story going on simultaneously. So there's consumers that are pretty well off who are continuing to be pretty well off. And I mean, if we're going to say anything, I think for both consumers and retailers, the gap between have and have not is going to widen on both sides. And so it's not like there's one universal story about the retailer, one universal story about the consumer. For me, if I was uh, a retailer would be, I need to heighten our ability and really speed it up like Gary's saying, to build resiliency into our business and to be ready, be, to be game ready. And I would tell people to go take vacay right now because when the doors open again, you're not sleeping for a few weeks. If you thought it was crazy shutting it down, get ready for the opening, you know? And that includes the leaders. Like, I wonder how exhausted leaders are, our political leaders, or corporate leaders. What's your decision-making capacity like right now? Um, no, not knocking anyone, just saying there's an ex a toll that's being taken here. Yeah, so the stress level is high. We'll see how it yeah, and, but I think you're right. And when the door is open for all the reasons you said, but everyone's going to be in different situations. And some of those retailers were limping out of holiday last they year. Will, but you know what's interesting about what you're saying is that um, there will be new players because of this too. Yeah, right? yeah. There's opportunity all over the place as well. People are, you know, entrepreneurs who built these businesses are entrepreneurs. And, and uh, my, my only worry about that one is, we're, we may see the uh, a real, as bad as retail is going to get hit, the decimation of uh, independent retail and restaurants. And the reason that matters is, where's your next Aritzia coming from? Mm -hmm. It was hard enough anyway. Do we see that, you know, it won't be necessarily the most adaptable that survives this, this, this current period. It'd be like ones with the biggest balance sheets possible are going to survive and maybe not for right reasons. They just happen, happen at this cycle of time. have got a very stacked up pile of cash and they can weather this storm and they may survive at the cost of some of those guys who we really want to kind of encourage, come on guys, you know, you can do better than this, come on, push yourself through. But they get swamped just by running out of, you know, their cycle of cash is maybe up, upside down to the, the bigger balance sheeted uh, companies. Do we see, do, do we see uh, that there's a risk of uh, industry or, or category uh, so consolidation? In my world, yes. You know, and there will be opportunities for roll-ups to start consolidating certain sectors of, you know, and they're consumer facing, and you're going to have to figure them out because some of them are complicated, some are not. But yeah, the opportunity is there for certain. And, you know, I hate to say it, but you'll be buying them at bargain prices because that's just what ha is going to happen. But you're going to have to pick them up long before they close uh, because at that point, nobody wants them. So there are opportunities that are going to come to do that. But, you know, the, the bigger, the bigger M&As, 
you know, I don't know. I mean, you have to, you have to be in a lot of pain uh, and, and, you know, you're, you're the four, fourth or fifth on, on the, in the line uh, before somebody is going to really want to pick you up. And really today, why would you pick it up? Why would you buy someone who's, you know, if you're competing in the same marketplace, why bother? Unless Amazon was going to buy another grocer and they were going to buy somebody in Canada, then I could see possibly that you'd want to compete for that, right, to keep it out of their, their reach. But at the end of the day, if a grocer is going to go under, which I doubt, um, why would you do it? Why not let them go under? Hard, tough, it's a tough message to make, but it's, it's reality. Uh, an acquisition or a merger yeah. uh, of a fairly big scale, it takes a lot of cash for maybe a year to two years to really if it really is a merger type situation, it takes a lot of pain to get through pushing the two organizations together. So if you're talking about that kind of deal making, um, I, I wonder, it'd be very selected circumstances. I, I'm not sure if I see any obvious ones, but you can imagine like the sales that are going to happen, you know, there's the deep dis discounting that's going to occur. And that's on the consumer end, but you'd also think, it's going to be cents on the dollar if you're trying to pick stuff up. And yes, there's opportunities, but what you have to do something with the opportunity. So uh, I don't know. I think, I think George, that's sort of George's domain though. More. Like would Alibaba buy anything, you know, any of the big Asian players? I don't know. I'm just curious though. Do we think beyond our borders of Canada or even North America when we're having that discussion? It really depends on the brand, right? Who's who it is right now. I don't see, I don't see a lot of, players making moves uh, internationally. Why would you at this stage? It, it would be suicide. Um, you know, but I, I, you know, if somebody wants to get into a retail market like Canada, would you buy someone uh, who's generally doing okay to learn the marketplace? Yeah, I could see that happening. You know, I, even now that we, we've known uh, over the last uh, few months uh, prior to this that there were retailers that were going to come into Canada opening up in different malls, I'm curious. You know, are they going to go through with it now? Well, and, and plus, uh, are they going to pay what the old rates were? I mean, Craig, we get into a whole thing about uh, landlord-tenant right now. There's a tendency to look to the negative, but there's going to be a ton of opportunities um, for very creative solutions. And that could be like within organizations that have the cash on hand to do something with the ideas. You're right. And with wherever there's risk, there's always opportunity, right? Um, and that's... And, and this is, you know, this, this, is the, this is a human tragedy, actually. It really is, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's over 2 million people, two, almost 2.1 million today, I think. Um, and over 100,000 people gone, you know, and you don't know, and no idea when this is going to end. But um, opening retail up, opening businesses up gives you hope, right? And I think that's part of the, that's part of the only reason I think I, uh, if I get excited about it, it's only because there's hope. Right. If you kept this closed up for past June, my God, I don't know what to think then. You know, that's what that would, that would really worry me right now. Middle of May, if that's where we're targeting, uh, at least in Ontario, that's the, the last one we heard, I think, uh, Gary. And, um, you know, that that's not too bad. But if we start getting into June and late June or early July, uh, that would uh, that would concern me. Well, and going back to what you guys led with, um, that predictability is really what's, what's been missing. And talking to uh, some of the essential service operators, they're consumed with the fact that in every jurisdiction they're operating in, 
both federally, provincially, municipally. They're getting new directives. As you know, I, I, came, I spent my early part of my career in the restaurant industry with PepsiCo. And my question is, you know, so when you look at the restaurant industry, you know, you've got health inspectors, you've got the, re- the, big re- the big chains have got a lot of uh, health and safety practices that, are, that exceed what the health board even asks for. Yet, you know, we're about to reopen. We've got a major health scare. You know, so what, who is regulating what is safe? What that safe environment is? Yeah. What's the spacing like in a, in a retail store? How many cl- customers can you let in at a time? I, I, those are all the questions that I have at this stage because I believe that's going to be on the, on the mind of the consumer as well, right? Is it safe for me to, because yeah. you're so comfortable waiting in a queue, right? And they may not like it, but they feel safer waiting in the queue and knowing that for every one person that goes into Costco, one's coming out, right? They're keeping the traffic to a, to a, yeah. a, spa- a good spacing. I, I, I'm really curious how that's going to be managed going forward. We know the essential retailers that are open are doing some things right, but at the end of the day, what about everybody else once they start opening? Small retail stores that are eight, 900 square feet, how do you manage it in there? I really feel for the retailers because they're having to make decisions without, even the guidance is kind of suggestive. And Ottawa is very different in how they're handling uh, local situations than Vancouver's, for example. So how do you run a national chain like that? But, but they've got eight health and safety people who are like trained in like looking at risks and doing stuff and coming up with great schemes of things. We shouldn't have to wait for government to tell us how to behave. No, but you're, you're giving a situation, but how often have you ever seen retail operate like flawlessly? Um, you know, it's really complex. Like there's thousands of employees that every day are absorbing direction and uh, you're, you're always going to spot the exceptions to the rule. The, the bad ones, it's going to be commonplace. The good ones, you're still going to spot. But, um, you know, I, 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 I'm listening to you, David. I think the other part of it, this is that, you know, work from home is not going to change. Not for a while. No. Right. And yeah. that's going to really perpetuate some major changes um, to a lot of things. And I tell, even here, just doing Zoom. You know, I was telling Gary earlier when we get on, you know, we're struggling. I sit on a couple of boards and we're struggling, you know, in finding, finding, finding automation like this that is actually secure, right? Because how do you do this without somebody not tapping in? And, you know, and, and I think that's going to be really critical back to your point, David, about, you know, working with teams in retail, right? Are regional managers really going to be able to visit that many stores at one time? You got to be very impactful. You can't travel to them. You're going to be so impactful. You're going to have to have these meetings, these team meetings on Zoom or on sites like this, right? Where you're, you know, the, your managers and you are working towards those objectives, you know, daily, right? And, and rehearsing your, you know, your safety steps, rehearsing, you know, how you're going to greet customers and manage traffic in your store. That's the world, right? But like you said, you know, we, it's so, we're so adaptable, Right. Because we, we have to be quick. Well, it's the quick and the dead in, this, in retail anyway. Um, you know, but you have to be so quick and to adapt operationally, right? And this is going, these, this technology, um, this like Zoom, for example, is great. But it's going to have to get far better than it is today. I'd like, Craig, I think a challenge back to you is what are the questions that no one is asking? I think that's, there's like a meta question. Um, it's about how we're thinking right now. And I think, I think it's asking the right questions at the right moment. And uh, that could be fun, but it's also a, a, a challenge. 
Yeah, I mean, I think one of the questions people are asking is um, how are the stores going to reopen and uh, how are the shopping centers going to deal with this when people start trickling in and are still afraid? Yeah, and, and maybe what is the shopping center going to be in two years? Like, what? how do we redefine some of these concepts um, and, and, and make them productive but not just – there's a fear I have that we want to hang on to the past sometimes. And I do it too. We all do it right in my business. Like how do I keep, they have built something. How do I keep that going? I think the challenge is let go of the stuff that doesn't matter, but what are we building for the, uh, for the future? Let, let me, let me just kind of give a perspective on that because I spent the last two or three days trying to write my, from our conversation from a week ago, I've just kind of, try to encapsulate my thoughts and and it's a pretty long paper and i post it onto my linkedin profile as a as an article and i send you a link to it but it it kind of goes like this for the last well beyond the scope of most people's career in terms of time scales we have thought the way to grow businesses has been just just to go big go large everywhere go large number of stores larger stores large number of um, uh, items in, in the assortment and just 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 grow the business by being large and we've done that decade after decade after decade and I think that as I hear increasingly comments about the birthification I hope I've pronounced that correctly about um, uh, retailing go in luxury or you know value end and there's this middle bit that's rubbish chuck it out I actually think uh, and, and I think George has said this in the past is the middle will reform and as I went through the paper I was trying to get to what does the middle kind of look like I didn't really have that question in my mind but it suddenly occurred to me the middle is a halfway house between the mass merchandise merchandisers and big grocers those big box stores like Lowe's and Home Depot won't particularly change their format. The luxury stores will broadly keep where they are. And the bit in the middle may actually be a miniature version of what these stores used to look like being very focused about even at subclass level, not, not, I mean, not going to be a whole category. They're just going to focus in and deliver personal service. And that might be the, the, the trife, trifurcation if there's such a word how the, how the middle will rebuild and once we take that logic a, a smaller format store given the conversation we had about mouse the other day that uh, you know they're going to um, more mixed use i'm a big say if i'm a big box store i'm never going to get into a mouse in the mixed use but if i'm a smaller adaptable quick agile kind of uh, concept i can get in there and get out if i need to be but i could be you know, in a stack of other stores, which are very complementary to what I sell, uh, you know, 20 stores in a, in a mixed-used facility with some entertainment, some food, some condominiums, some offices, whatever. And I could see that how the mouth could survive with that level of retailing in it. It's just a sliver of retailing, not a whole bunch of retailing to the exclusion of everything else. And I suggest that you, if you have a chance... Have a read of it. It was a bit bumpy toward the end because I was—I've got to finish this today, so it became a bit uh, less structured. But I think that that we've been brought up on a retailers have been brought up on a go large underlying philosophy. That's how we grow businesses: scale it, make it big, get the economies of scale. Then we can compete on price. 
let's go to um, China to get our stuff because we can compete even more on price. So it's all about big and complex. When actually, I think that we may find that our our forward picture on on the middle ground of retailing is much more smaller format stores. And if you have a sage sage around you, it's that, it's that kind of an idea where you have just a small selection of goods, highly trained people given personalized service. And you know when you go into that store, there's a story and you know what you're going to get. There's nothing more, just this, that solution to that problem. You know, I, I've made up my mind on what the middle is. Okay. And it's the independents. It's, it, it really is the independent yeah. retailers. If, um, if you take a look at some of the restaurant tours that are out there who have opened up, you know, a variety of different restaurants, right? But, they, but they, they've really cons- they've consolidated their supply chain. They've done a lot of good things that way. And some of them own 8, 10, 12 restaurants. I really see that the middle could be the independents because you've got the mass merchants and you've got the higher end. Um, that middle is, a, is the unique opportunity that the independents have, right? Because you're going to want, because as you said, you want that, cut, that experience and everything. Now, it may not happen today because of the way things are. But in a couple of years, you'll see all that flesh out very quickly because things will ha- retailers will have to get a lot smarter and diversify themselves a little bit more than just behind one concept. Um, and you, you'll, you'll see that coming out. I, I do believe that that's where the middle is going to lie. It has to end up somewhere because the middle is not going away. It's just going to redefine itself and that's where it's going to land if the retailers are smart about and when, it. When we speculate, we like to speculate around sort of some extreme possibilities because that's what we're doing one of the possibilities and plausibilities is we actually get back to something akin to what we had before but different but i think the warning shot was was heard that there'll be other um issues that hit retail in a in a substantive way including an economic issue that's going to last so the if you get through this and you're able to change you've got to then speed that up if you don't make it, it'll reconstitute itself. It always has. Um, and there's human beings out there with talent. They'll find their ways into other situations, you know. But, George, I think you hit the nail on the head. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, guys. Sure. Bye-bye, guys. And that's our special edition podcast with three Canadian retail experts discussing COVID-19 and the Canadian retail environment. Just a reminder, links to the biographies for David Ian Gray, Gary Newbury, and George Minikakis can be found in our show notes. We just want to remind everyone that we do have an email newsletter that you can subscribe to that goes out every morning with a link to the Canadian news from around the web that we've curated from the previous day, as well as links to our exclusively published articles from Retail Insider. If you go to our website, retail-insider.com, you can find the subscribe area on our main page and you can get that email to your inbox every morning. Thank you for listening to this special edition. Please do subscribe to be notified when new episodes are published, as well as to help others find us by boosting our discovery ability ratings and if you also think that we're five star worthy please do rate us on your favorite podcast provider thank you again for listening and speak to you next week